Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. I'm Charlie Wright, very pleased you've joined us today. And before we start, we would like to uh, dedicate today's program. This is the uh, uh, second time in, uh, in two weeks, in, in, in three weeks. We'd like to dedicate this program to Gene Roberts, who was the father of Paul Roberts, our producer and owner of OC Talk Radio. And Gene would have been 100 years, 100 years old today. So, Paul, congratulations. I understand he was a veteran of World War II. Give us 30 seconds on it. Well, he was uh, part of that greatest generation here. He grew up in the middle of the Depression, fought his way out of the ghetto, fought his way out of the Depression, fought his way as a bomber pilot in World War II, and I always kiddingly say fought with me the rest of his life here. But, uh, but he, was, uh, he was a good guy, and he was part of that you know, generation that uh, we all remember and honor here. Well, that's great. And is that where you get your Irish blood? Uh, I, it is. And uh, my Irishness comes partly from him, and he was, he, was, uh, he was proud of it. He was proud of his heritage and uh, never let me forget where we all came from. Okay. Well, congratulations. You are indeed a fortunate man to have such a father. So grateful to be able to mention him today here. So we'd like to introduce you to our guest, Clint Edgington, a chartered financial analyst and a registered investment advisory firm founder, Beacon Hill Advisory, and Nest Opportunity Fund. Uh, he speaks to us from Columbus, Ohio, their headquarters. Clint, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Well, hi, Charlie and Paul. Thanks for having me. So, Clint, uh, you were raised in Ohio. You are a graduate of uh, Miami University of Ohio. You started your registered investment advisory firm in 2009, but that was not directly out of college. You did some uh, other things first. You've been focused on real estate projects during this whole time and now deeply involved in opportunity zones, uh, real estate projects, which is just unnatural for you here. The focus here is... Uh, for your projects in Lexington, Kentucky, and Columbus, Ohio. You guys focus on multifamily projects and even single-family projects, which is not common for most Opportunity Zones. Welcome to the show. Uh, why don't we start with a uh, brief discussion and understanding of Opportunity Zones. Sure. Um, opportunity Zones were, were part of the uh, Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed in 2017. Most of the um, changes went effect in January 1st of 2018, and one of them was Subchapter Z of that act, and it was the Opportunity Zones portion. And effectively, it was a kind of a bipartisan portion of it that had been been worked on for some time. And uh, effectively, what it did is it dedicated 8,700 census tracts, and those census tracts were generally meant to be the bottom 25th percentile of income in a state. And then the governors could then pick and choose which ones they wanted to kind of focus um, a movement of capital away from, from other areas into those census tracts. 
And uh, effectively, they did that because from the Great Recession in 08 and 09, what everyone saw was there was kind of a vastly uneven recovery. And uh, just to give you an example, business filings from 2007 to 2017 dropped by 60%. So there were fewer small businesses that have been started and, and even continues today. And likely, you know, COVID will, will, will make that even worse. But there was an uneven recovery. Larger companies got larger. Uh, fewer smaller companies were developed. And, um, you know, some lower income areas stagnated while other areas that were previously doing well continued to do well. Um, so it was really trying to kind of uh, rebalance that area. And the kind of the incentive is that uh, a fund can invest in those areas and investors who invest in those funds can get some, some pretty compelling tax benefits. In particular, if they have capital gains, they can invest those capital gains into a qualified opportunity zone fund and they get two major benefits. Um, the first is they do not have to pay capital gains tax on the original asset that they sold that generated a cap gain until 2027, and there's a reduction in that capital gain amount. And then the second and the largest benefit is the Qualified Opportunity Zone fund that they invest in, if they hold them for 10 years, there is a step up to fair market value, which really gives two benefits within it. First of all, you do not pay capital gains tax on the appreciation for that fund. And number two, especially for real estate-oriented funds like ours, there is no depreciation recapture. So as many people who have invested in real estate know, you get a uh, depreciation um, uh, tax loss every year. Uh, but at the end, when you sell, you usually have to pay what they call depreciation recapture. Depending on your kind of specific scenario, it could probably be between 22 and 28%, usually 25%. Um, so that can be a pretty compelling benefit as well. Okay. Well, thank you, Clint. Uh, that was a very uh, clear explanation. It can get a little uh, a little tricky and complex to understand these things. So if someone is willing to uh, invest in real estate in any of these areas, uh, it sounds like there are some, as you mentioned, very compelling tax reasons to do so, Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Qualified opportunities and funds can also invest in businesses as well. Some of the rules get a little bit more difficult to follow, um, but there are certainly um, ways to do it in both real estate and businesses. Our fund, you know, however, sticks to real estate. It doesn't okay, move and, and it stays in those census tracts, which makes our tracking a little easier. And I imagine that uh, most of the projects, certainly most of the projects I've heard of, have been real estate uh, type projects here, d direct real estate projects. So tell us, uh, you, you guys are involved in uh, projects in both Columbus, Ohio, where you're at, as well as Lexington, Kentucky. Why Lexington, Kentucky? Sure. So our, our criteria for the geographies we wanted to go into, the first is, is very simple. Um, I believe real estate is a bit of a ground game a very good operator in a bad area might do fine, and a mediocre operator in a good area probably will not. So for us, we want to be able to stay close to our operators that we kind of know, like, and trust. And so the first criteria is we want to be able to get to our geographies uh, to review our assets in back by dinner time, uh, because we have kind of a regular cycle of reviewing all of our assets and maintaining our relationships with our our. Um, 
general contractors. So that was the first step. We, we are out of Columbus, Ohio. So when we kind of look out at the geographies that we like, first of all, we want, um, we want it to be able to be able to drive to it. Second of all, we want demographics to be kind of a tailwind for us instead of a headwind. So in the Midwest, you know, the kind of areas, Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, they've had some issues with populations decreasing, uh, incomes not rising. So we, we want to look more toward the areas that are growing. So the Columbuses, Indianapolis, Lexington, Louisville, those would all be areas that um, have that positive demographics. And then third is just where we have operators that we've worked with in the past. Um, and, and Lexington and Columbus fit the bill for that. So those are kind of the three initial criteria that we use to look at it. And then for us, our fund, we actually created for ourselves. So when, when the legislation came through in, in 2017, there was a lot of ambiguities. In particular, there were ambiguities about having multi-asset funds with multiple outside investors. And, you know, my family, my partner, and our operator in Lexington, we all happened to have a capital gain at the same time. And so we started this fund. We called it a fund, but basically it was a private partnership at the time. And we just started it for ourselves. Um, and we didn't open it up to outside investors until there were clarifications last summer and the final regulations came in in December. So we re originally just started this for ourselves. Uh, one of the criteria that we had was this is a long-term investment and a long-term hold. So we want to be a little lower on the risk and return spectrum uh, than some of the other opt-in funds out there. And so we want areas that are going to have stable employment so that in 10 years we have visibility on what that area will look like. And, and both Lexington and Columbus have very stable kind of employment drivers. You know, Columbus is the, the capital of Ohio, so it's got a good government, um, government employment base. Both of them are major university towns. So they have a very stable education base. Um, and, and then Columbus has, you know, the insurance industry is, is pretty big here. You know, when you think of like nationwide insurance, state auto, state farm. So that's kind of the fourth criteria that we looked for. It's just a stable, stable employment base. And then the fifth and final, and Columbus fits this bill less than Lexington, Kentucky does. In the Midwest, we generally do not have much supply constraints housing. You know, we don't have that permitting issue that occurs in California and New York or, or most of the coasts. But we do have some cities start to become big enough. There's some sprawl issues. And so you don't live in the Midwest in order to commute an hour and a half to work every day. And Columbus is bumping up against that where eight out of the 10 top cities of growth in Ohio are in the Columbus MSA, but they're outside of Columbus and it's starting to sprawl out. Lexington has a bit of that sprawl as well, not as much, it's a smaller town. Five of the top eight cities in Kentucky are in the Lexington MSA, but Lexington in itself is not growing. And the reason why it's not is because it was the first community in the 50s, I believe, to enact an urban service area, which restricts development in the areas that most folks in the country would only see if they watch the Kentucky Derby or some of the, the horse races and they see those beautiful pastoral settings. Well, that is just north of Lexington, and so they want to maintain that area. So we believe it'll put pressure on the kind of urban core uh, for housing. So that's the areas that we're in for that. So those are kind of the five criteria we look at. First of all, the ability to get there to manage them properly. Second, 
just do we have the demographics? Third, okay. where do Keep we going. have managers that we know that can trust? Stable employment, and, and lastly, um, some supply constraints. Okay, so so Clint, uh, l- let's clarify a little bit. Uh, is uh, for opportunity zone qualification? Do you have to uh, uh, build new facilities and uh, new, new buildings, or can you go in and buy some and rehab them and improve them? Do they qualify? How does that work? Yeah. So what you're you're speaking of is so this is at the fund level. So an investor doesn't really need to pay attention to this beyond making sure their fund knows their stuff. Um, but there is a criteria that you quote-unquote substantially improve or that it's the original use of the uh, of the property or business and so for substantial improvement effectively what we need to do is we need to double the cost basis of a property that we buy exclusive of the land so if we, we would buy a property for half a million and the land is worth a hundred grand the current improvements are valued at 400 we would need to rehab or add on 400 grand worth of improvements to that property in order for it to be qualifying opportunity zone property. Uh, and then within the fund, we have certain ratios we need to hit as far as how much of our fund is considered qualified opportunity zone property or business. Okay, well, it sounds like uh, most uh, government programs much more complicated when you get down to the details than uh, you know it's advertised to be or talked about uh, in the, the Wall Street Journal. So let, let me That's ask right. you a yeah. question here. The, the beautiful here. thing about this, though, that is not you know the same as with LIHTC or new markets, is that as long as it's in that area and we can do our math before we buy, we don't need to wait for some sort of approval after the fact. So it gives us some comfort where you know, I'm closing on a property tomorrow. We've already done the math on what it's going to take to rehab it. So we don't need to – we're competing with non-op zone funds in the purchase – and we don't need to try to figure out will we be able to get this program or not. We know we will. Um, so that's that's something that it's it's much more helpful than other government programs. So uh, this weekend I was reading Investors Business Daily, and uh, there's an article here, and they've got a list of the best and worst U.S. housing markets. And on the uh, side of the best U.S. housing markets, number two is Columbus, Ohio. So tell us a little about uh, the advantages you see of going in, and you're going in with multifamily and single-family uh, residences, I understand. So, so tell us about that. Yeah, Columbus, um, it, you know, is a bit. We are kind of known to not have a brand a little bit, but um, you know, I, I'm a little bit biased because I grew outside of Columbus. You don't think of Columbus being kind of the fashion capital of anything. You would think Paris, New York, L.A. But there are a lot of fashion brands located out of Columbus, Limited, all of Les Wexner's stuff. We have a, a, a large kind of insurance base. Ohio has pretty favorable laws for insurance companies. So we have some of the larger insurance companies located here. In fact, Root, which is an insurance company that I perhaps only heard of a year ago, just filed an S-1 to, uh, for its IPO. So we've got a, um, you know, a pretty a, a growing population, uh, folks coming both from uh, more rural areas and as well as our education centers. So Columbus has been growing. Seems like it will continue to grow. Our infrastructure is is pretty good. 
Um, however, like many parts of the country, we, we have low inventory of housing supply. We kind of came from rural stock, if you will. And so, you know, zoning is, is still set up that way where um, for new developments, it's, it's difficult for them to be affordable housing just because of the lot requirements. You know, you, you can't put, um, you know, you can't put houses 10 feet apart when you get out in the suburbs of Columbus. Um, so there, there is a difficult, there is a bit of a supply constraint. And um, we have relatively moderate but fast-growing incomes. Um, so you put those together, and our housing market has been doing pretty well for a while. It, it will never scream, you know, like San Francisco did from 2000 to, I guess, 2018. Uh, you know, it's never going to be clocking 8% annual growth for a long period of time. Um, but it's just relatively stable. It's, it's a good place to be. So again, uh, as we mentioned, uh, you, you guys are into single-family homes, and I don't think that's uh, very popular or common for opportunity zones. What do you think that you see that others haven't in that opportunity? Yeah. So first of all, it's single-family homes are difficult if if you are really great at capital raising, you know, and you can raise 100 million or 200 million easy. It, it's much easier to just do a few multifamily developments than to do single-family. But again, it starts with how we originally started our fund. We started it for ourselves. And we, we were the first LPs. We put our half million in as LPs and our half million in is still in as LPs. And for us, we want the highest probability of capital gains in 10 years. We're not necessarily wanting to swing for the fences to get the largest capital gain. Um, clearly, you know, knowing what we knew in 2018, if we would have wanted to do that, we would have gone for something like office or hospitality or some of the areas that were hot then. Um, but you don't really know what the world's going to look like when your project comes online in three years. Whereas with single-family housing, you know, the property that we buy tomorrow, we know it will take us about eight months. I have a pretty good feeling in eight months people are going to want to live in single-family housing. I have a pretty good feeling in 10 years they are as well. And I think COVID has kind of shown us that that visibility is not quite as clear with some of the other areas of, of real estate, you know, when you look into office or hospitality, there were a lot of funds, you know, kind of touting dirt deals and, and hospitality office or commercial in 2019. And I think they're probably, you know, either pivoting or they're going to have a very hard time completing their projects. So for us, we're really just looking to hit singles and doubles and do that for 10 years. And if we do that for 10 years, things will work out well for us and our investors. Okay. So you talk to a lot of people in your fundraising for this. Um, what are the biggest obstacles that, that people face and are concerned about, about investing in opportunity zones and possibly uh, your particular one? Good question. Um, you know, I think one of the first things is that folks – you know, might think, hey, listen, these, the, the, you know, we're in the affordable housing space and, you know, we kind of take pride with, with how we want to work with, with the residents and with our communities. Um, but there's a concern that all of these investments are, are, you know, in blighted areas. And there is some truth to that. However, kind of with our investment and with our working with communities, as well as other people, it's not just us. There's areas that will turn, and there's also areas that already are turning and have turned. 
you know, the difficulty with that is, is you know, how do we how do we share the benefits of that with not just us and our investors, but also the communities that we're working within. So that's that's kind of one thing that, that is it's a valid concern and that we, we work quite hard to try to create kind of win-win-wins with that. And we've got some programs, specifically, specifically with the city of Lexington. They've given us some grant money, um, and, and we're kind of – we've got some programs so that we can give lower-income folks uh, what we think is, a, is the path to the middle class. And I think that's home ownership. It kind of gives people the ability to, to pull a home equity line if they want to start a business. And the biggest speed bump to home home ownership is that down payment. And so we've got some programs in place where if folks are good renters with us for a period of time, you know, we help them with the purchase price if they purchase the house from us in, in partnership with, with uh, some other folks. I think the second is is just kind of the details of the program. You know, nothing is really, you know, when somebody gives me a fact pattern, I've been in, my nose has been in the books with this for two years now. It's not that difficult. I can tell them, okay, your deadline to invest is X date, uh, December 31 of this year. Um, here is, you know, the benefit you would or wouldn't receive at whatever rates you want to give me. But there's just a lot of numbers kind of juggling around. There's a lot of, you know, you have 180 days to invest unless you did it through an entity, and then it might be something more. Um, so it can get just a little bit confusing if you're not working with someone that, that has an idea of the program. And then I think currently the third one that we've been that we've been hearing a little bit about. In fact, we we wrote an article on it not long ago, and I'm happy to share with anyone who reaches out to us. Um, it's just the question of, hey, listen, if I defer my capital gain today, well, I could pay a 20% Fed cap gain tax rate, or if I defer it out until 2026 and assume Biden becomes president and assume the Senate flips. Well, if I'm at the highest rate, I might be at, at 39.6% again. You know, why would I do that? And it really took us kind of putting pencil to paper and doing the math. You know, like you said, I'm a CFA nerd, so I kind of enjoy doing those things uh, to show that, you know what, the benefit is reduced some, but there is still a pretty compelling benefit. Um, so those are kind of the three things that we've seen, you know, over the last two years where, well, really the last year, where people have a bit of a hesitancy. Um, and I think those those three things are, are are somewhat the same. You know, folks in California also have a little bit of another speed bump where California has chosen not to conform. Their state taxes do not conform to the federal code with the Opportunity Zone. So, so that, you know, they don't get the benefit on the state tax side. And again, we've, we've done some math on those. Um, and, uh, you know, the benefit is reduced, but there is still a pretty compelling benefit even if you live in one of the four non-conforming states. So I guess I would say the big three, you know, I mentioned in the fourth is just if you live in a non-conforming state, it, it just adds a little bit more complexity to it, Charlie. So Clint, uh, we, we appreciate those responses, um, and, and, and they are certainly things everybody should be taking into consideration. That There's another one that I've heard typically uh, raised by CPAs, and that is that... Um, in, in, in tax incentive programs, their experience is investors get overly focused on the tax benefits. And that uh, really what's most important is the quality of the investment itself. And that uh, investors are not very good at, at assessing that. They get focused on the tax benefits and they get involved in uh, real estate investment programs that were really not that valid and strong in the first place. What would you say about that? 
Well, you know, I think I think that's absolutely true. You know, we've we've yeah, I don't know if people get overly concerned, but I think you need to look at it. Does does it make sense for me? Do I like the assets? And can I handle the illiquidity and kind of the 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 term? Um, and, and if you can answer yes to the both those, uh, well, then I think you've got something that makes some sense for you. You know, I have seen some folks invest in, in, in inherently the the first, when we look at these opportunity zone funds, we want to look at the asset class. And, and I would say if someone is willing to invest in something relatively risky like commercial, keep in mind we've got the substantial improvement requirement. So this isn't just going to be a core holding that's already leased up, everything looks good. There's going to have to be some, some, some substantial improvement put in. So it's kind of what we call a value add or opportunistic strategy. So it's going to add a little bit to the risk. So inherently, all these opportunities and funds are going to have a little bit of risk in that activity because it's going to have to have that substantial improvement. So what we kind of at Beacon Hill talk to our clients about is like, well, you might want to tamp down the risk on the asset class. So perhaps you were able to handle the risk of commercial before. Well, might, now you might want to look at multifamily just to kind of balance those risks out some. And I would I would recommend to, to everyone to kind of run it to see what after-tax returns would be of this versus kind of your alternative investments. Okay, very good points. Appreciate that. So for those who would like to know more, Clint, uh, where can they go? Sure, you can look at our website, nestopportunityfund.com. And nest, nest like the N-E-S-T. N-E-S-T. Um, or you'll feel free to uh, shoot me an email. It's just Clint at nestopportunityfund.com. You know, happy for folks who who don't even have an interest in our fund. We've got a lot of resources that we've put together, you know, analyzing folks, you know, if they're from non-conforming states or if they think their their cap gains tax rates will go up. We've got some calculators and whatnot. Uh, what I would just mention to people is just give me your fact pattern and whatever you think is going to happen in the world, and I'll just run an analysis for you. We've, we've got the calculators already built. We're happy to do it for folks. And, uh, you know, if folks don't invest in our fund but find another one or decide it's not right for them, that's okay, too. Well, when you find fact patterns that that, that seem to be accurate, let me know, will you? Because <laughs> most fact patterns we find today, who knows how accurate they're going to be. So how about uh, some uh, final words for our listeners here, Clint? Sure. I um, appreciate the time you all have spent listening to this. If there's anything we can do to be helpful for you, feel free to give us a call. Okay. Thank you very much. So Clint Edgington, uh, CFA, uh, Beacon Hill Advisors, and Nest uh, Opportunity Fund, thank you for being with us today. Appreciate your contribution and uh, our best wishes for your guys' continued success down there in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you very much, Clint. Great. Great. Thanks for having me, Charlie and Paul. So you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us. Again, I'm Charlie Wright, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com, and you can go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. Wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. 
content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.